Hello and welcome to the May 22nd, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, and it's great to have everybody here with me today. And of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you. It's been quite a while since I have spoken to my podcast audience, and it's just great to be back. Uh, I couldn't wait to record this episode. I have a lot to speak about, a lot to update everybody on. And I have to admit, it's really, it's, it's been so long that I just miss everyone. I do. I feel a disconnect in the sense of, uh, you know, I need this. I need this in my life. And as much as many of you have expressed to me that you enjoy listening, believe me when I tell you, I enjoy just as much speaking to everybody. And without it, it is certainly a piece of me that is missing in my life or a piece of enjoyment or a sense of stability, whatever you want to call it. It's something that I can honestly say, and, uh, you know, I'm going out on a limb saying this, but I perceive or predict that I will be doing this podcast for the remainder of my life. Uh, And that feels really good. It feels good to say that. I, I see no time in the future in which I will stop. It doesn't matter how good I feel. It doesn't matter uh, how, how stable I am in terms of my bipolar disorder. I will always have something to share with everybody. So this podcast will be around forever as far as I'm concerned. So I have been awake since 4 a.m. here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, I'll remind you about why uh, it's important. It's probably the, well, it's, it's, it's a large part of what's going on right now with my life and my bipolar disorder really is what it leads to. Uh, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday and that was about six o'clock at night. And my doctor usually takes me in very quickly. I, I show up. The doorbell rings when I walk in. She comes on out and gets me. And unfortunately, I had to wait about 40 minutes yesterday, which I am not used to. But it's fine. I got a lot accomplished in that 40 minutes in terms of researching things on my phone uh, in, in hopes of fixing the problem that caused me to wake up at 4 a.m. And I think I have come up with something. So I'll get to that in a second. Like I said, I met with the doctor. We discussed my medication. Everything seems to be on track. I'm doing well. We remain on the 200 milligrams of Lamictal. We're at 300 milligrams of Welbutrin, 25 milligrams of Seroquel. Uh, She uh, she asked me how the Seroquel was going. And I, I said to her that, since uh, starting it, I, I do, and I think I've reported on this, I definitely feel less paranoid. And it also, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, she seemed to think that it was an, an okay thing. It gives me a sense of order, if that makes any sense. It 
gives me a sense of routine and structure. It almost kind of gives me an OCD-like feeling. But an OCD feeling in the sense where typically my OCD will cause anxiety if I don't get to complete the specific compulsion in which I am attempting to embark on. But in this scenario, it kind of makes my obsessions and my compulsions kind of fun. And I almost skip over that obsessive part and I just engage right in the compulsion. I don't know if anybody can understand what I'm speaking about. So in a nutshell, it really gives me the sense of order and makes me more uh, focused on the task at hand. I would assume, well, according to her, she says that because Seroquel does work very well in terms of anxiety, uh, it's probably given me a sense of calmness and allows me to focus more on the task. So it kind of makes sense. Something that was interesting, and I would imagine that she's supposed to ask me these questions all of the time, but she doesn't, and it kind of took me off guard yesterday, and I almost felt guilty answering them, because a lot of times when you're asked questions that you don't expect, when you give an answer and you're a paranoid freak like me, sometimes you start to think that, not, not that you're lying, but... Uh, am I telling the truth, or am I, or am I leaving something out, omitting something, uh, lying by omission? And that kind of went through my brain. But she first asked me, uh, "Do you have any feelings of hurting yourself?" And I answered quickly. And I said, "No, not at all." And then I, of course, analyzed my answer, <laughs> and I said, "I answered that too quickly. She's going to think I want to hurt myself." I, I I looked at her face and I analyzed the way she stared at me. All ridiculous, all still part of my paranoia. And then she moved on and she said, any thoughts of killing yourself or uh, anything along those lines? I said, no, no, not at all. I said, my moods have been great. Everything has been wonderful. And then she stopped and she said, okay, one last question. How are the voices? We had a very in-depth conversation, probably my first visit, about the voices that I was hearing. She was very concerned about that. Uh, and she has not asked me about that since my first visit with her. And I stalled when I answered her. And I said, oh, they're good. <laughs> she said, well, what do you mean they're good? I said, well, they're non-existent for the most part. And... She said, well, what do you mean, the most part? And I admitted to her that upon starting my increased dosage of Wellbutrin, I did start to uh, hear some voices in my head. And I explained that to her, and she explained to me that it was probably the dopamine taking a little bit of an effect on me, making me a little bit manic in terms of adjusting to the medication. And with myself, if I do not have that schizoaffective diagnosis like we thought I did, and we're still unsure, then the mania will absolutely produce the voices. And, you know, the paranoia, the hallucinations, the delusions, things of that nature, and in this case, the voices that are somewhat negative most of the time. And in fact, when I was going up in my Wellbutrin and I experienced this for a couple of hours out of the day sporadically, they were not negative at all. And I explained this to her and I said, well, they went away. And then she said to me, well, are you hallucinating? Have you seen anything? 
And I quickly once again said, no, I am not. And I thought to myself, huh, I don't know how honest that was because there are times when I think I see things over the past week uh, and I'm doing double takes. And I don't know what I'm seeing and it's not nothing specific. It's not uh, eagles flying around my head or little monsters running up and down my arms. It's just flashes, things that are taking me off guard a little bit. And uh, I don't know why I lied to her or why I left it out, uh, lying by omission, but I decided that I did not want to tell her that, and I didn't. Um, And again, this is something that we do with bipolar disorder and fear of what are the consequences going to be. Because right now I feel like out of a 10, I'm at like a 9. And had I told her that, well, maybe she'd start me on something new. She mentioned Latuta to me. I think that's the name. I said, no, 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 not going to work. So I I just left it at that. I I probably will be honest with her next time if they are continuing. As a matter of fact, I'm going on record and saying that I will absolutely be honest. Um, And let her know that there were little flashes, little, little things that I was seeing, not really aware of what they were. But if it continues, I will certainly let her know. So last and last but not least, I explained to her, in conjunction with the statement that everything is wonderful, I went on to say, except the following. And this has nothing to do with my mental stability, nothing to do with my mood swings, nothing to do with my mania or depression. What I said to her is that one of the most unbearable things that I have gone through, and I know I can exaggerate sometimes, everybody, but I am telling you right now, I am not exaggerating with this. Since the increase in my Wellbutrin, I have suffered from the worst constipation of my entire life. And I have been diagnosed with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, quite some time ago. So that's always been a part of who I am and what I am. Uh, it could go either way, constipation, frequent bowel movements. It was never really um, something that I could say one or the other, that it was more prominent. It was really just a mixture of the two. And it was horrifying. But this, this has been absolutely unbearable, which leads me to my 4 a.m. awakening. I was so constipated through my sleep. First of all, all I could do was think about in my sleep and dream about how constipated I was. Uh, And I woke up at 4 a.m. because I was just in so much pain from the pressure in my stomach. Thankfully, some of the laxative-like supplements, or I think something called Metamucil, I don't know, somebody from work gave me something along with some stool softeners that I had taken last night. Thankfully, they allowed me to go at about 4.30, it came on, and without being giving too much information, I'll just let you know that uh, it was not, certainly not the normal way that anybody would go. It was severe constipation, the way it came out, uh, not enjoyable at all. So in terms of what I am going to do to attempt to fix this problem, and I did check with my doctor, something that I looked up in the midst of waiting for that 40 minutes, uh, I researched and I found that something that helps with constipation is magnesium citrate. I believe that's the way it's pronounced, and I, 
I confirmed it with her, and she said that would be a good idea. So I got a supplement. I went on Amazon Prime, and I made sure to order the highest-reviewed one, the one that seemed to have the best five-star review, and that will be coming tomorrow. So hopefully that helps because i got to tell you, I have not felt this in a long time, and it's never been this bad. And I, I cannot go on like this. And it's it's amazing because you got to kind of. This is when it comes down to weighing the pros and the cons of taking your medication. Do I want to deal with depression and take a chance with something that has been wonderful in my life that has significantly improved my mood, or do I want to end the constipation? Well, I think it's important that I do not go through life being depressed. So I have to find a way to figure this out and fix it. So I'm going to attempt to do so by starting this supplement. We'll see what happens. If anybody has any suggestions, something that has worked for them, please give me an email, MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I'm willing to try just about anything at this point. So one of the other things that I did not share with my doctor and not because she uh, asked or didn't ask, was uh, I did have an episode this past weekend, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time getting into it, but I will say this, that my response and the way that I acted was very scary and very reminiscent of the way that I used to act in terms of my explosions and my yelling and my screaming, and I'm somewhat embarrassed by it, somewhat hurt by it, and when I say hurt, I mean hurt over the fact that I hurt somebody else, I scared my little guy Mickey, I made my wife cry, and it just wasn't fair. Now, do I have, do I believe that I had reason to be upset? Absolutely, but what it comes down to is the way I communicated this again. We woke up on Sunday, and I have been worried about my lawn for the last couple of weeks. It's been dramatically raining here. The weather has been horrible in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, so I have not had a chance to mow my lawn. And it's getting longer and longer and longer. And finally, Sunday, there was a little bit of sun. We had woken up in the morning, and we had thought about going somewhere to celebrate her birthday and Mother's Day, although it was a week later, because the rain was so bad, the week before, and I, and I, you know, I opened my eyes, it was about six in the morning, we got Mickey, put him in bed, and my wife and I started talking, and I said, listen, I know you want to do what you want to do today, and I'm okay with that, I said, but we really have to think about this, because I got to get out there and mow that lawn, it's supposed to rain all week, our work schedules don't allow, and if I go another week, we're going to have a big problem, well, I want to go out. Okay, well, you know what? I've got to get out there nice and early. Well, you really can't go out there early because it rained last night and the grass is wet and I thought you couldn't mow the lawn while the grass is wet. And I said, well, actually, you're right. I kind of can't. Well, you're not going to be able to get this done until 6 o'clock at night. And I said, well, that's not true. Um, And the argument continued from there and it was about mowing the lawn. And uh, she wanted to go to an aquarium, which now at this point I started to get extremely defensive over the lawn and I started making up excuses as to why the aquarium is not a good idea. I said, well, in one aspect you're saying 
that I can't go out there and mow the lawn because it's probably going to rain, but I'm telling you that the aquarium is not as fun in the rain, but yet you're still willing to go to it. So again, childish argumentative behavior between the two of us back and forth. We've been stuck inside for quite some time, although we did find a way to make it out Saturday, even in the pouring rain. We went out to a hibachi dinner. It was great. We still got out there, uh, out, out. We went to a mall, but nevertheless, she was not satisfied with this. And I think it was because she wanted to celebrate her birthday and Mother's Day. And I get that. But then she started saying things, unfortunately, that reminded me of my ex-wife. And if I haven't explained in the past, my ex-wife she was so back and forth about things because I used to take care of the kids 90% of the time when I would come home from work and I would attempt to mow the lawn she would get angry at me because I didn't walk in the house and take my children out of her arms and cook dinner and be the caregiver and the fact that I was putting my time and energy into something else made her angry didn't matter that we were struggling for money she made me go and get a landscaper was not happy about it. So this is an argument that I had back and forth with my ex-wife for quite some time. Now with my wife, who I married to, one of the agreements that we made, and we did have a landscaper at first, and I said to her, I go, you know, first and foremost, I'm not crazy about the way he does it. So we agreed completely that I was going to go out, I was going to spend the money on a brand new lawnmower, get all the tools that I needed, and all that money that I would pay towards a landscaper for that coming up season, I would put into buying the appropriate equipment and I would mow the lawn. One, because I love the way I do it and I am obsessed with the way it looks, I'm sure you can imagine. And two, because it's actually a good thing for my mental state. Gives me some time to get away from everything. I enjoy it. I put my headphones on. Sometimes I don't even need to. I just, I just walk and I do my lawn and I concentrate on it and she thought it was a great idea. Well, this argument turned into, I told you we had no time for this, you need to get a landscaper. And I, and I said, I can't believe that this is happening. And I said that she sounded like my ex-wife. She went on to tell me that I was insane. Once I heard the insane comment, well, of course I fed into it. And I started screaming and yelling and saying things that really should not have been said. I said, you know, we get money and you want to burn a hole in it. As soon as you get it, you can't, because I was referring to the fact that she could not be without going out. Uh, so horrible things. And when I tell you I exploded, I exploded to the point where Mickey had been near me. And I was not yelling so much at this point, but he was kind of whiny and crying and I yelled at him and I said, you know, what do you want? Leave me the F alone. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible, my behavior. And then because of the way that I treated him, she came running into the bedroom. And at this point, I had put him in my arms after I had made him cry. And I don't ever, I don't believe I've ever yelled at my one-year-old ever in my life. Sometimes he goes up to the dog food and he tries to eat it, sticks his hand in the water bowl. And I, I yell at him. Um, but teaching him good things. And I don't think I've ever yelled at him before. I've yelled in front of him, but never at him. And he was so upset that he, he didn't run away. He crawled into my arms to, I guess, figure out what this is all about, where it was coming from. And she ran in and took him out of my arms and said, well, now you're yelling at a one-year-old. And things didn't get better from there. 
The yelling continued on my part. She started to cry. Um, and I stormed out of the house, started mowing my lawn, doing it with wet grass. And it was an absolute nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And at some point, my wife had come to the door and she had watched me. And I know that she felt bad as to what she was seeing. And I'm not going to get into specifics on how I had to mow my lawn, but it was bad. It was real bad, and for anybody who has not done that themselves, mowing a lawn that is too long is just really not fun at all, and wet, and it was horrible. And when I saw the sympathy that she felt, or the empathy, or whatever the word is, um, on her face, I said, wow, this can't go on like this. And I came inside, and I took a break, and I looked at her, and I said, wherever you want to go, I'll go. She said, well, it's too late for that. I said, I will do whatever you want. I'm so sorry. I said, I stand by what I said with the lawn mowing situation, but there is a different and better way that I could have communicated this to you. And uh, we hugged and we kissed, and we ended up actually having a wonderful day in the backyard. We barbecued and we ate, and we put together all kinds of different toys for Mickey his water table, and a little slide. And it was exactly how I envisioned the day to go, to be honest with you. And I said to her, I said, we don't need to spend money to have a good time. And I had said that in the beginning, and she took a big offense to that. And she never came straight out and said that it was about Mother's Day or about her birthday. And I just have a feeling in my heart that that is what it was about. And also about the fact that we'd been locked in for a while and she didn't want, not want to chase Mickey around all day. And neither did I. I didn't either. I didn't want to sit inside and worry about him doing things that he doesn't normally do because he's bored to death. But I, my plan was to do that lawn, to have fun in the backyard. It ended up working out. But when I tell you guys, I screamed and yelled and I behaved in a way that is so inappropriate. Uh, the good news is it didn't last for more than 10 minutes, but it was loud. It was obnoxious. And I guess the second good news is the fact that I was able to pull it together and not let this linger for too long. I mean, in the past, this would have resulted in me getting in my car, driving around the neighborhood, ignoring phone calls, uh, texting, screaming, yelling even more so. I mean, just a disaster. And uh, you know, thank goodness it did not end up that way. Now, here is something very interesting that I wanted to speak about. The two things that I just mentioned in terms of the symptoms, I guess you can say, constipation and irritability, both of them are reflective of either my illness, bipolar disorder, or a side effect of medication. Constipation, obviously a side effect of the Wellbutrin, and the irritability, I guess you could say a side effect of the bipolar and possibly the increase in Wellbutrin. It's maybe the adjustment to the medication, who knows? It is something that's real, it's something that happened, and it's something that I have to contend with, whether it's through medical treatment and trying to attempt to eliminate that constipation or whether it is attending to my irrational behavior and figure out, figuring out a way to better communicate what I want to say. 
and how I want to say it. Those are two things that could be resolved and two things that were very, very real. They took place. And unfortunately, one is still taking place. But here is what I wanted to mention. It's so it's so interesting what transpired. I talked about how my doctor had questioned me about hurting myself and suicide. And she asked me about the voices. And I was honest with her, like I said. I said I got a little bit. But after the appointment, as I walked out the door and started to walk towards my car, I started to hear voices in my head. And as I'm hearing the voices, I am starting to think, are these voices or are they racing thoughts? And I know it sounds strange, but I could not decipher between the two. Here's what I'll say. When I do hear voices, they are very distinct. They say something, they mean something, or at least to my, to my belief at the time, as I became more stable in the medication, they became more and more, uh, less, less comprehensible. They would happen less and less, but I still knew they were there. This was strange. I almost couldn't decipher whether they were voices or whether it was racing thoughts and I could not help but say to myself when I sat down in my car and I started the car up I took a took a break before I even started up to go home I said what did I what did I just put in my brain did I force voices to be in my brain and basically come up with symptoms of bipolar disorder I know it sounds crazy, but it was almost like because she had asked me something, it put in my head the fact that I had not been hearing them and that it almost felt too good. And the result, the end result was I created these symptoms in my head and they quickly went away and I, and I actually was able to talk myself through and I said, wait, these are not the voices that you normally hear. And then it became more, uh, clear to me what was going on. My voices, uh, the, the thoughts began to race. I realized that they were not voices necessarily, but it was my own voice. And for those of you who have had that happen, there is a, again, a very distinct difference between yourself talking to you and different voices that you may hear. I will say this, that the voices that I would oftentimes hear, they did resemble my own voice, but they were not always like that. They were different at times, and unfortunately it would also be compounded with uh, sensory issues such as imagining that I was being touched or pushed in the back while I was driving, uh, that my seat was being moved, you know, delusional things that accompanied the voices. None of this was happening, though, and it was evidently clear to me that I had caused my own symptoms at this point in time based on something that someone put into my head without even doing it on purpose. I mean, it's not like she wanted to do this. She was asking questions, asking things that pertained to our appointment and to my illness, and inquiring about the results or the benefits of my medication, whether or not it's working. And it just, it just shocked me to realize that we can cause certain things to happen in our own mind. And there are two other things 
that I wanted to mention that are in the same category. One of them being something called factitious disorder. And for those of you who are not aware of this, factitious disorder is something that I don't have, but I wanted to make mention of it. It prompted me to, again, making up these symptoms prompted me to look into this and think about this, or at least mention it to my audience. And I only bring it up because I had a coworker, and I could bring up her name. Her name was Michelle, <laughs> and she no longer works for my company, but it was about five years ago that she left, and she had this disorder. So when I made these things up in my brain, and then I was able to come up with them, I said, you know, something that I never spoke with my audience about was factitious disorder. Now, one thing that I have spoken with my audience about is hypochond- being a hypochondriac specifically when I suffered from my first anxiety bout or my panic attack, my bout with panic attacks when I was in college, uh, hypochondriac being a person such as myself who was completely abnormally anxious about my health. Everything bothered me. Everything became real. I would cause my own physical pain because of my psychological factors. I would be worried about catching a disease. I, th- I thought I had HIV. I would completely go over thoughts over and over again in my brain, repeatedly going over them, causing anxiety attacks, panic attacks. And you know what? I had my implant placed just a couple of weeks ago, and I still, I, I, I don't believe I have any symptoms, but I still make up something every day. Oh, this is not right. This doesn't feel good. I put my tongue here, put my tongue there. Oh, this shouldn't feel this way. And I find myself Googling it and almost wanting to come up with something. But for the most part, I'm able to talk myself through it. The hypochondria that I once experienced is gone. So we know I don't have that anymore. And thank goodness that I don't have factitious disorder. And I don't say that in a mean way towards saying, well, thank goodness, thank goodness, I don't have that, and I'm only bipolar. I don't want to offend anybody who might have factitious disorder. But I say thank goodness because the end result can be quite devastating. So these are a couple of things that I want you to look into. And again, I only know about it because of this woman, Michelle, that I worked with. As far as I believe, factitious disorder is a very, very serious mental illness. Very serious. That's not to say that bipolar disorder and schizoaffective and schizophrenia is not, but factitious disorder is when someone lies or deceives another person by pretending that they are sick or they make the appearance that they are sick. And what they will do is they will actually purposely get sick And this woman, Michelle, used to do this all the time. Well, believe it or not, they would actually inflict self-injury on themselves. They would hurt themselves uh, to make people think that they were sicker than they are or more hurt than they are or suffering from a disease that they may not have or um, dealing with something that may not be true. And believe it or not, Sometimes parents, and this is part of factitious disorder, and I don't know if there's a name for it. Unfortunately, with Michelle, she used to engage in both about herself, but also in being a parent, and I would imagine anybody, a caregiver, 
Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be your own children, but anybody who might be a caregiver, meaning you worry about somebody else that you love and care about, you will actually falsely present your children as being the ones that are extremely sick or disabled or living with a disability. That is the correct way to say that. That is politically correct. I will correct myself there. It is always a person with a disability, not somebody who is disabled. It is not an autistic person. It is a person with autism. So they will present their children or the person that they care about as being sick, impaired, injured, or being a person or a child with a disability. And that is scary. That is scary because it really can result in some serious things because people with factitious disorder, and again, I know this because of what this woman used to say to us in the office, and when I say us, myself and my coworkers, and I ended up <laughs> diagnosing her. One thing I will tell you is she had an extensive amount of background knowledge in different types of medical, medical words and medical terms. I don't know how she had it. I don't know if she would research it, if she would look it up, or if she would Google it. I don't know, but she came prepared. She had all types of medical terms that you would think only a doctor would know. Um, and I would tell you this, almost sometimes a person with factitious disorder, they almost can't remember their own lies. And what I mean by that is they will have inconsistent symptoms. One day they feel a certain way and they're suffering from this and the next day they're no longer suffering and from it and they forget what they said the day before. So inconsistent stories about their symptoms, let's put it that way. A lot of times this individual would come in, Michelle, and she would not even have a reason as to why her symptoms got worse. Oh, things, things have really gotten taken a turn for the worse. And you would think that there would be a reason to it. Uh, you were exposed to something. Uh, you developed a fever. Uh, you ate something. Uh, who knows? I don't know what it is, but there would be no logical reason as to why her symptoms would become worse. And I think a person with factitious disorder, there's really no explanation as to why those symptoms get worse. The unfortunate thing about factitious disorder is, from what I know and what I researched in the day, back in the day, and this is going back five years ago, I do recall that therapies a lot of times are not very effective. And what I mean by that, I'm not referring to talk therapy. Let's say somebody claims to have some kind of a back injury or a neck injury. They're making it a lot worse than they, than they really, than the injury is. Well, they'll go and they'll receive all kinds of physical therapy, stuff that would normally work for a person and would resolve the issue. And for some reason, magically... It's just not doing the trick for this person. And, you know, one of the reasons why I say the end result is something that is not fun or not safe is think about the medical bills that you might have piling up just to prove that this medical condition cannot be fixed. Somebody with factitious disorder, I would imagine, would go to a doctor very, very often, would stay in a hospital for no reason. Unfortunately, my mother... She used to engage in this. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but my mom 
there was a point in her life where she would actually pack a suitcase for the hospital and prepare to go. And she would think that nobody recognized the fact that she was preparing a suitcase like an absolute, utter wackadoo. Underwear, shirts, slippers, sweats, jeans. And then all of a sudden she'd come down with a mental Ill- she'd come down with a physical ailment. Not a mental illness. I say mental because she'd usually end up in a psycho, uh, psychiatric ward afterwards when they realized nothing was wrong with her heart, nothing was wrong with her um, liver or whatever, but she would, actually, she would actually pack suitcases. And I would say that she had plenty of frequent stays in uh, the hospital. And I apologize. Ironically, you hear a ambulance right now. <laughs> I don't know if you hear that in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, but, um, that is actually what's going on. It's ironic that we're speaking about hospital stays. One other thing that somebody with factitious disorder would do is they would try to obtain visits with different doctors, get treatments from di- different doctors with the hopes that they would hear what they wanted to hear. And I would imagine that they would probably not want to speak to certain doctors, depending on what the diagnosis is. Go from doctor to doctor, because now they have a history of the illness, so to speak. But yet they don't want to talk to a doctor, because a doctor is going to be the one that's going to call them out on something. Believe it or not, somebody, and this is really going deep into it, But it's unfortunate that, and this is where I said, thank goodness I don't have it. And I I pray and I hope for those that might think that they do have this, they try to get the help that they need because the end result can be somebody who's actually having surgeries. I mean, think about this. You could end up without a limb, an arm, a leg, because you want to pretend or believe or make others believe that your illness is so severe that you... Uh, suffered an injury in a war, let's say, or in battle, that your leg needs to be amputated and you end up in surgery. And before you know it, you're doing all kinds of testing that's unnecessary. You're doing surgeries that are unnecessary, all types of risky procedures that are unnecessary. And it's just, it's, it's very frightening. It's a very frightening mental illness and I thought it was important that we discussed it some of the reasons why it might occur I would think that many of the reasons would resemble some of the personality disorders that we've gone over in the past and that would include things such as your childhood going through some emotional or physical or sexual abuse some kind of trauma Uh, and again that can lead to a multitude of different Uh, Mental illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder, again, uh, borderline personality disorder, things of that nature. A person might have had a very serious illness during their childhood. Maybe they received a, a, a tremendous amount of attention because of it and they want to mirror or mimic that now that they're older and unfortunately suffering from this mental illness, and they find it quite easy to say, well, you know what, I was real sick when I was a kid. There's no way that I, there's there's a very strong possibility that I could play this off as an adult now. I would think that somebody close to them, if they potentially pass away, a traumatic experience of somebody dying might 
cause a person to get uh, a little upset and possibly engage in this behavior. I don't know. I'm just taking a poke at it. I'm not sure if that's something that happens. Again, I'm trying to center this around post-traumatic stress disorder because I would imagine the risk factors are generally the same and this illness can develop because of these things. I would imagine that a poor self-image, poor self-esteem, not thinking very highly of yourself, and again, it, it points towards the attention of others. This would be a risk factor. Uh, ironically enough, and I don't know if this is true, so do not quote me on this, but I would happen to think that somebody in the field of medicine, somebody who had knowledge of medical terms, would be more prone to doing this type of behavior or engaging in this type of behavior. I could be totally wrong. Uh, there's not statistical statistical proof on that. Just taking a stab at it, I, I would imagine that if there was statistics, there would be no proof that it does happen with a person more in the medical field. But I would think somebody that works in the medical care field would be somebody that would engage in this. It would take a heck of a lot of pressure off the idea of learning all those medical terms, being able to dictate them and recite those things, almost like the back of your hand. Um, Ironically, I would think that a person with this mental illness would actually enjoy being with a doctor or, or enjoy being in a hospital. Uh, some, some sick part of me, I have to admit, and maybe it was because it was more security and safety and not having to face the world, but in terms of a psychiatric ward and being in a mental institution, I found that to be somewhat comforting at times. I liked being in there because it saved me. And I didn't know it was saving me, um, but it saved me from the outside world. It prevented me from having to deal with real life for the moment. Gave me a sense of structure. But I would think somebody with factitious disorder kind of just likes it. Uh, Somebody with a personality disorder probably would engage in this. I would think, think about that. My mother with borderline personality disorder, packing bags, okay? So that would make sense. Somebody with depression. Again, I'm, I'm just rambling off some of the things that might be risk factors in terms of engaging in factitious disorder. And I thought it was important that I discuss this. It's something that we've never talked about before, but I always like to bring new and uh, different material and to my podcast audience. And I know that it's stemmed from something completely different Uh, making up symptoms in my head that really were not real and that really could be taken quite seriously in terms of voices. I did not hear voices, but yet I started to create them in my brain. Uh, So I came up with this idea and and brought me to my old co-worker and I thought it was important that I shared it with my audience. So here's the good thing. I am am relieved. I was going to say the word proud. But that is the wrong word. I am not proud of anything when it comes to a mental illness. I am proud that I have, have admitted my bipolar disorder and I'm taking the steps to uh, work hard in, in resolving or at least putting those mood swings at bay. So what I'm trying to say is being proud that I don't have uh, factitious disorder 
or that I'm not a hypochondriac any longer. That's not the right words to say. I, I guess I could say I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I don't deal with those types of things uh, because I can't imagine. Listen, one of them I lived with. It was probably one of the worst, and I, I believe that I mentioned this, my hypochondria, when I was a hypochondriac and suffering from the panic attacks, that was in the top three worst periods of my life. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, man. Panic attacks, anxiety, being a hypochondriac, absolutely horrifying. And I would think and I would imagine that it would be the same when it comes to factitious disorder because the end result is, is very scary. So I'm not proud to say that I don't have either one of the two, but I am relieved to say that I do not deal with or suffer from factitious disorder or hypochondria or being a hypochondriac. I don't even know if that's the correct way of saying it. I'm relieved to say it. I'm relieved to say it because it's just one less thing that I have to deal with. But what it leads me to say and leads me to understand is that I do absolutely have to be aware of the power of the mind. I have to be aware of the power of the mind. I believe that the more we think about things, the more we race through these things in our head, the more we affect our train of thought. And that's not a healthy thing to do. Not a healthy thing to do at all. So we have to be very aware of the power, of how strong our mind is. And that could be a good thing, and that could be a bad thing. Because bad meaning that here is Mr. Joe creating these ridiculous symptoms that really are not so ridiculous when they actually happen. Very severe, very intense, very, very serious. But not happening. So why is my mind making it like it is happening? At the same token, our minds are so strong that we have to remind ourselves that we can use that to our advantage. The same way it instills a weakness in our life and that it can cause significant damage in terms of our overall thinking, it can be our best friend at the same token because mind over matter, and I know it sounds cliche, but the, 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 the better we use our mind, the more thought we put into things, positive thoughts, the better the results will be. So, again, I have to be aware of the power of the mind and use it to my benefit. And I suggest that everybody out there do the same thing. If you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well right now, I want you to keep working hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness, as hard as it might be, I ask that you continue to support that person. And if you are struggling with a mental illness right now, I know it's not easy, but I ask you to keep battling. And most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. You have a great day, and I'll see you again real soon.